And uh, we're going to be in Deuteronomy tonight, but let's first turn to Psalm 128. 128. And we're going to be talking about the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is um, twofold. The idea of fear in the Greek vernacular is the idea of, um, of awe, of respect. It's not necessarily terror of the Lord. In fact, uh, uh, there's another word for that. Uh, but I've given you a piece of paper tonight. Uh, we're going to look in the book of Deuteronomy about that good, healthy awe, respect that we're to have for the Lord. Not because we, we're afraid that he's going to hurt us, but because we don't want to disappoint him. That is the idea that uh, we see where time and time again we see that God loved, that God loves us. And as a result of him loving us, and he really seeks for us to love him. And so uh, if you love people, then you, you, the greatest fear you have is that you'll disappoint them or that you will offend them. And so that's the type of fear the Lord would like for us to have. Although since he is God, there is a, in the background knowing that uh, if he decided, he could really uh, be negative toward us in many ways. Now, the word terror, of course, is something that has nothing to do with love. In fact, it's just you're afraid of, of punishment. And there's a word for that. And also, and I've actually got a, um, a study. Uh, there's two lists of, um, of the fear not and the fear passages. Now, for tonight and, uh, and for our study, we're just going to look, because we're looking at the love of God and Deuteronomy, we're not going to look at the 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 fear not chap- the chapters where he tells us don't fear the Canaanites, don't feel, uh, fear uh, the giants of the land and so forth. And there's a whole list of things to fear not. But tonight we're going to look at um, the fear passages in the book of Deuteronomy where we're to have a good, healthy respect for the Lord. But to show you what that fear means uh, in Psalm 128, we see blessed is the one who fears the Lord. Now, if, you, if that was terror, there's no way to be happy. If you're living in terror, then you're not going to be happy. But he's talking about a good old healthy respect for the Lord. There's going to be a happiness. The word blessed means happy. He says, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy and it shall be well with you. How many times did we see, we'll see that in the book of Deuteronomy also. It will be well with you. Um, and he says, your wife shall be like a fruitful vine. In the very heart of your house, your children like olive plants all around the table. Blessed, uh, behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you out of Zion, and may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yes, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Jerusalem. Peace be upon Israel. Sorry. So here we see that uh, you know, the fear of the Lord is a, the Lord. Here we the writer of this uh, song of ascent, as it's called, is the idea. This these were the songs that would they would sing as they would ascend to Jerusalem, and uh, some have said that it was even the staircase that would go up uh, on the side of that uh, temple, and. Uh, the stairs, the steps of the stairs, would uh, you could tell the time by how the sun would hit it. It was almost like a sundial. 
and they would be at different times of the festivals, uh, the, the, the feast days, they would have choirs that would sing one, uh, each hour some of these psalms. And so, but here we see the blessed, you know, blessed are happy as everyone who fears the Lord. And again, if uh, that's a good old healthy awe and respect of the, of the Lord. And I, as I've said many times, I wanted my children to know that, you know, I loved them and that uh, I wanted it to be that uh, they wanted to do things not because they were so afraid that they were going to get hurt by me or spanked or whatever, but because as they grew older, I wanted them to think that, that of course, that the worst thing that they could do is to uh, disappoint mom and dad. And they wanted to do it because, of course, now our, all of our children go through their phases, and that's not always uh, perfect, you know, perfect families or whatever. And there has to be that exertion of force or exertion of authority, I'd rather say, not force. But, uh, and so sometimes the, the battle of the wills had to be uh, hammered out. But uh, we see that the whole idea, though, that was, we, want, we were to have a good, healthy respect for the things of God. And happy is the person who falls into that respect of the Lord, learning how to get into the walking by faith and living for the Lord. Now, in saying that, but let's turn back to Deuteronomy then, and we'll see that this is basically what we see in the book of Deuteronomy. But as we, we begin, uh, chapters 4 and 5 we've looked at, but um, notice in verse chapter 4 of Deuteronomy, I've given you a list here. And I hope that you can read uh, each of uh, the but chapter four, um, verse um, uh, verse ten. But we'll go back, uh, and he'll say, "Gather the people to me, and I will let them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me, all the days they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children." So we see that the Lord tells us, you know, and we see this at the very beginning, the one thing that we want to do is fear the Lord and teach our children to fear the Lord. And if, again, that's our responsibility, not the schools. And we've seen the schools take over. And now today we have um, teachers saying that they have the right to keep you know, information away from the parents because the parents don't have the authority the teachers do or whatever. But uh, we see that God gives the direct responsibility of our relationship with the Lord and teaching our children to the Father. And as we saw back in Psalm 128, it, it, he's the head and it, it, he will bless his wife by fearing the Lord. And so we see that, uh, again, so we see, first of all, we're to fear and to teach our children. Now, in chapter 5, and that's just uh, one page over, and I'm sorry, I got a new. Uh, I'm using a new Bible tonight, so I might have to. And I've tried to mark it up enough so that I can uh, not stumble through all these. And you know, the older, you know, the longer you got a Bible, the more that you just turn to certain things. But in chapter five, verse twenty-nine, it says, "Oh, that uh, they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments." that it might be well with them, there's that term again, that it might be well with them, and with their children forever. 
And so again, we see the idea, if we fear and keep his commandments, and we do it because, and that's a way to teach our children, by doing it ourselves. And that our children will be blessed. I think of um, one of the good illustration. I think of a man that was just a godly man, and, uh, and his children just picked up on it. Uh, but uh, I was, uh, you've heard me talk a lot about uh, uh, a man named Walt Fremont. He was a professor at the school I went to. But uh, I didn't either ever have him as a teacher, but he was a great friend and a great uh, teacher in my life as far as uh, in, uh, in church and whatever. But um, his, they would go down to Florida from South Carolina and uh, back then, oranges were all over the place. And one of his best friends was my pastor. And that was a real blessing. And uh, he would go down there and just load up his car, in the trunk of his car, with all kinds of oranges. And, uh, and so and with that, uh, he would bring them back. And, the first, and so the children thought, oh, my, we got all these oranges. And, boy, it's going to be great. And he had three kids. And all of a sudden, he would he'd take bags, he would he'd load up, and he would, have, he would give over half and maybe three-quarters of those oranges away to people in the neighborhood and talk to them about the Lord or whatever else and just be a good neighbor. And his, and his oldest daughter, which I, who I knew, she was a little older than me. Her name was Gail. And uh, she said, we would say, Dad, we picked all these oranges, and you always, you always give them out. But she said as she got older, she found out Around that area, a lot of people would go to Florida, and they never liked oranges because people were always bringing them back oranges from Florida because of just the way that her father was. But uh, so many other things. That about, but that was just the whole idea of, of your, our children learn by what we do. And so when we fear the Lord and when we genuinely feel the fear of the Lord, not uh, just at church or taking the church to, uh, kids to church, but the idea uh, that uh, we we walk what we uh, what we talk, we walk what we believe in church. We believe that also out on the street and in the, around the, the kitchen table, and so we see that it might be well with our children, and it might be well with thee. And then right across the page on chapter uh, in chapter six, verse two, he says, "Now let's go to verse one. Now this is the commandment, and all the, and these are the statutes and judgments." which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you that you may observe them in the land where you're crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord and to keep all of his commandments and his statutes and his commandments, which I command you that you and your son and your grandson all the days of your life, that your days may be prolonged. There again, there's a blessing to a man who will follow the Lord, not only to himself, but to his children and to his grandchildren. And so the Lord says, if you'll fear the Lord and just walk in the ways. Now, you're going into land, there's going to be a lot of challenges. There's giants to overcome. There's big cities over there. But uh, as you establish yourself, don't forget the Lord. And it'll be amazing how much what you do will rub off on your children as you serve the Lord. Not making them serve the Lord, but they see it and they see it. And the earlier the better in their lives. And so then in verse 13 of chapter 6, we see that he says, You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall take oaths in his name. In other words, if you say, 
by, you know, so help me God, then that me, I mean, you honor that. Oh my, how sad it is today when we hear uh, people that uh, they take an oath in of, of service or an oath uh, in the courtroom and they'll say uh, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. Well, at one time that meant something. Today it doesn't mean anything. And unfortunately, because we don't have a God-fearing nation anymore. We don't have a consciousness of this nation that, uh, hey, there's a God in heaven. And so, and the whole idea that at one time a man was only as good as his word, now he's only as good as his lie. And how sad that is. And no wonder we're falling apart. Because you can't have a nation like we have where there's individual liberties and individual responsibilities without integrity. And so we see that the Lord says, fear him, keep his commandments. As a result, you know, it's going to be good for you and good for your children, you know, they are po- both to ourselves and to our posterity. And so uh, we see that God, you know, this is very important, not only for ourselves, but for our children. Then over in verse 12, uh, we see again, well, it's, excuse me, in verse, that was verse, uh, let's go to verse 13. He says, you shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and take oaths in his name. Okay, that's the one we covered. Verse 24, and the Lord uh, commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear our, uh, fear our God, the Lord our God, uh, for, all, uh, for good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is today. And so again, for our good. I mean, we fear the Lord not because, oh my, we got to, because I'm scared to death. And if I don't, then I just have to drag through life having to do these old things. No, we said that God counsels by his commands. And whatever God counsels us or commands us to do, it's always good. And so he says that if we will fear the Lord, then it's going to be good. It's just for our own good. So fear the Lord for your own good. And uh, it's... You know, it's just so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word. And so we see that uh, we're to fear him for our own good. And so we see the, the blessings of serving the Lord. Then over a couple of chapters, over to chapter 8. And we look at, um, verse. let's go to verse 6. He says, Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God, um, uh, for the Lord your God is bringing you into the good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains, of springs that flow out of the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey. He says, follow. And now when you get over there, he says, fear him because, and to walk in his commandments because, after all, that's the reason you're getting it in the first place. One of the worst enemies of fearing the Lord and loving the Lord is our own prosperity. We get to the point that we don't need anything anymore, we don't think. There's not a, you know, it's not a, a falling on our knees every night and saying, oh, Lord, help me. And all of a sudden we got uh, better cars, bigger houses, air conditioning, all the comforts of life. And all of a sudden life is good. And do we still need the Lord then? And this is what uh, Moses is warning about. 
is that you're going to have you're going to be very blessed there. But uh, walk in His ways, and you'll just see how much better and better it will get it will get as you serve the Lord. Then over in chapter ten, verse twelve, again we see He says, "And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you, but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, and to love Him?" And to serve him, the Lord, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. There it is again. So the whole idea of walking in his ways, that's the idea of getting in rhythm with God. You get to the point where it just becomes automatic. You don't think about it because you're walking. You don't think about lying. You don't think about uh, stealing from other people because that's just not part of your character. Because you walk in his ways. And so you fear the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to love him. Notice, so again, uh, we see how much God loves us, but we just see that we're to love him with all of our heart and with all of our soul um, and to keep his commandments. And the Lord, as the Lord and the statutes that he gives. And again, he, the statutes are the idea of the rules of life, whereas the commandments are the broad principles of life, thou shalt not steal, but then you get into what not to steal and what is stealing and all that. But um, we see that uh, uh, he says to keep his, his statutes and his commandments and to walk in his ways. And then in chapter 10, oh, excuse me, that is chapter 10, verse 12. Uh, let's go to verse 20 of chapter 10. And he says... Um, let's go to verse 19. Therefore, love the Lord, uh, love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. So again, holding fast to the Lord. And notice it talks about uh, loving your stranger, loving the stranger in that context. When you, when you love the Lord, you're going to be a good neighbor. When you love the Lord, you're going to treat other people right because of the love of God that's shed abroad in your heart. And uh, I want a good God-fearing neighbor uh, because a good God-fearing neighbor is not going to steal from me. A good God-fearing neighbor is not going to slander me. A good God-fearing neighbor is going to look out for my good as much as I would look out for his. And so again, we see the whole idea of citizenship, even with strangers, and one of the ways that uh, you can tell a lot about people is how they treat people that they don't know. When they're off, you know, it's one thing to be here in uh, Belvedere and having uh, friends all around you, and you're kind of afraid that maybe if you do something wrong, um, other people might see it. But what if you're off in Timbuktu? How do you treat people there? And how are you, uh, how are you, uh, what type of, friend are you uh i saw something on the uh someone was being very they were upset with a certain athlete uh because this person talks about all how you know all this equality she wants to have and yet uh, somebody wanted her to sign her soccer ball and she signed it and just kind of just didn't even look at the person and it really upset a lot of people uh kind of was one of those viral messages you know, all this compassion that we're supposed to have, and yet she showed absolutely none, uh, even for a person who greatly admired her. Well, at least uh, you'll look at somebody and 
greet them with a smile. Uh, how do you treat people? And so even the stranger, the neighbor, how do you treat them? The, how, do, how do you treat people that you don't know? And so what lessons that we learn just by fearing the Lord? And so, and then over in chapter 13, verse 4. In chapter 13, we notice, um, let's go back to verse 2. He says, and the sign wonders come to pass. Uh, and talk about the false prophet. He says, let us go after other gods, talking about this false prophets, which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. So here he's saying there will be times, and sometimes in your own life, you may turn on the radio and hear someone that, uh, and I like, uh, I've learned this to be true, and I've had other people tell me. A pastor, when I heard this, uh, the person, they, they had all the right words, but there was something wrong with the message. And I always tell you to, if that happens, if your spiritual radar goes off, pay attention to it. Don't get sucked into every flyback, not preacher or whatever else that comes along. There's all kinds of, of uh, false voices out there today, and they are deceiving many. And notice that God says he even will test you at times with this. And, of course, testing is not to defeat you. It's to make you stronger. And he wants you to learn. Uh, we, want to gen- we want the genuine thing. Uh, for instance, they say with uh, you know, the counterfeiters, the, thing, the way they teach people uh, against counterfeiting uh, is to teach them they're, those, they're so knowledgeable of what the real dollar bill or whatever it is looks like that whenever they are something off on one, they might not know exactly what it is, but they'll find it because there's just something not there. Well, we want to know the Lord that way, is that uh, whenever we hear something that just isn't quite the truth, then we might not understand it, and we might have to look into it. I remember back when the Moonies came, they, were, they, they had a big movement back in the 80s and 90s, but uh, they came to town, and um, when I met those people, I had a hard time really deciphering because they had studied the area. And they knew how to talk our language. And they talked about Jesus and Savior and all that. But, uh, but Jesus was, and the, the key word was a Savior. And not the Savior. And that, uh, you know, he, it was Jesus a God or the God. But you couldn't pick up on it immediately because they, were, they disguised it so well. And I remember um, uh, that... Uh, a uh, pastor who had studied there, he said, uh, just remember that moon is not the sun. <laughs> you know? And so he talked about that and talked about how that really you can spot even by their pronouns what they think of Jesus Christ. And finally, I was ready for him. They kept coming by to talk to me and wanting to take my wife and uh, I to Korea and, you know, and get us all indoctrinated their way. But uh, finally, I asked him, who is God? Who is Jesus? And they said, well, he's Savior. And I said, is he the Savior? Well, he's a savior. Uh, is he God? He's, yes, yeah, he's God. 
uh, is there any other God beside? Uh, 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 and they would him haul. And finally, I remember the, and the way that uh, they quit coming is that there was two of them with, uh, that had come to talk to me again about politics and wanting to get us involved in politics. In other words, and, and, uh, and they had a big, they were, you know, anti-communist and all that kind of stuff. But um, um, I finally said, uh, is Jesus Christ the Savior and is, is he your Lord and Savior? Is he the Savior? And they wouldn't answer. And I said, well, if Jesus Christ is our personal Savior, then one of us is going to heaven and two of us are going to hell here. You know, so, and they didn't like the fact that I told them that unless they accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, they, had a, you know, they weren't going to heaven. They were going to hell. But uh, there again, we got to be, and but that was a big test on my life. I mean, the whole idea, hey, listen, you can have a free trip to Korea, and boy, we'll teach you, and all, you know, just come over and you know, be with us, and all this kind of stuff. And they could have neutralized my ministry. Now, I wasn't really planning on going there any time way, because we had babies at the time, and there's no way that we were going to be able to leave. But at the same time, they had, I, I couldn't quite pick them out for quite a while. And there are other groups that are like that. I've mentioned Garner Ted Armstrong and others, a radio preacher, that golden voice, but a ter- terrible deceiver. Uh, and there's a lot out there today. I think that guy down in Houston with the big church, uh, um, if you really want a good critique on him, you need to listen to John MacArthur. And John MacArthur tears him apart. Uh, what's the guy's name? I forget his name now. Um, but... Uh, because he doesn't heal him all around about Jesus being Savior, but he'll include a lot of other things in there too. And so uh, we have to be careful with those things. Uh, so in verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 4, then chapter 13, verse 11. Notice again, he says, well, let's go to verse 10. And he says, and you shall stone him, talking about that false prophet, in verse uh, 11. So all Israel shall hear and fear and not again do such wickedness among you. So you don't do it. You, you depart from wickedness. You don't get into these false things. So again, fear the Lord and he will guide you. But don't let these Baal worshipers. And the one thing I learned when I was in school and so forth, I thought, oh, my, this is just so easy. You can really spot a false teacher and everything. Um, and then I got out and got into the ministry, and I found out some of the best preachers are false preachers. I mean, they don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And they don't believe that there's a heaven or a hell. And they could talk about a, uh, about a resurrection, but a resurrection isn't uh, to them isn't the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is that Jesus lives on and his spirit lives on uh, and the truth lives on and so forth, but uh, not a bodily resurrection. And so, of course, we know. And there was a, pres- there was a um, man on a major, uh, one of the heads of the major denominations, I won't mention it, but uh, he was on the radio and he was talking uh, to a talk show host I was listening to one time. He was talking about Jesus Christ being the Son of God. But then he got off and he said, but uh, there was a group of, of Essenes, and they, they were the ones who, and he went into doctrine, he really made himself impressionable by what he knew about the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Qumran tablets and all that. But he said they also had, 
they were known for their healing qualities. And they were the ones who took Jesus and they nursed him back to health. And I said, I don't care if he's the president of that big denomination, he's on his way to hell unless he accepts the Lord as a savior. But he deceives many. He's the head of a denomination that is, counts itself as a Christian nation or as a Christian, um, a Christian denomination. So we see again that we have to be careful with false prophets. Then in chapter 14, verse 23. Again, well, let's go back to verse 22. And he says, and you shall, uh, shall truly tithe. Boy, all the increase of your grain in the field year by year, and you shall eat before the Lord in the place that he chooses to make his name abide, to tithe of your grain and your new wine and your oil and the firstborn of your herds and of your flocks, and learn to fear the Lord always. Tithing? Yes. Uh, A good old healthy respect that I give back to the Lord my first fruits. Now, one of the things, well, there's a big argument about what is a tithe and is it a legalism or whatever. Is it required in the New Testament? And whenever I, new people get saved, uh, I'll have them invariably, they'll come to me and they'll say, well, pastor, should I be tithing? And that's a big step for a lot of people. And I never tell them uh, how much. I don't say, I say, they'll say, well, how much should I give? And I say, all of it. I say, all of it, I say, yeah, God wants it all. And if God has your pocketbook, he'll have your heart. If he has your heart, he'll have your pocketbook. And you two will figure it out because he says, if I tell you what to do, then it will be out of necessity or out of uh, me compelling you to do it. But if God tells you to do it, then then that means that you and God have worked it out between yourselves. And invariably, I'll have people, the biggest givers become those type people. The people that have financed my ministries have been people that have come to me like that and have asked me that question. And, uh, you know, my wife and I have been greatly blessed by people like that, that, that uh, they just started, they were in shambles. I mean, they had nothing, but God blessed them greatly. And, uh, and then they gave us, you know, they sustained us sometimes through some of our ministry. And uh, there again, it's, we never got rich off of it, but at the same time, that's the way God works. And so I don't tell people, you give a tithe. No, I'm going I'm to tell you that God wants your heart. And if he has your heart, then he'll have everything else. If he has your mind, if you worship him with all your mind, then I am convinced that the Holy Spirit will tell you what to give. But if I tell you what to give, it's, it's me compelling you. And God says that you don't give out of necessity or out of, uh, what is it, compelling or whatever. But that the Lord loves a what? A cheerful, cheerful giver. And so again, now uh, we see that uh, this is what he is saying here, is that you love the Lord and you'll give to the Lord. And notice the whole idea here, though, with that remember with you farmers and everything, remember everything that you have. God blessed it in the first place. And uh, last night when I was writing out uh, my, my offering, I won't call it a tithe, and, and uh, I just I got in the habit of saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that uh, I can give to you. And it's a blessing. It's a, one of the great joys of the week is to start off Sunday by offering a, 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 a first day of the week to offer the, my, the first part of my, my, my income to the Lord. 
And what a blessing it is, because I remember a lot of times when I didn't have any income. <laughs> so, uh, and what a blessing it is to know that God will bless those who will bless him. And so, again, we see the whole idea of tithing. And then very quickly, in verse 17, or chapter 17, verse 19. We see that he says, well, let's go back to verse 18 again. He's talking about the king here. Now, he even talks to the king about this. He says, and it shall be that when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book for the one before the priest and uh, from the one of the, of the priest. So he's to have his own personal copy and he's to copy it himself. So that's one of the first requirements of a king. And it, that it should be well with him. There's that term again. And he shall read it all the days of his life that he may, sh- may learn to fear the Lord his God and to be careful to observe all the words of this law and the statutes. So as a king, you better, be, you better know the word and you better be careful to follow it. How many times do we see the great failures of Israel was because of the failures of the king? And here we see that uh, God says it's important that uh, leadership from the very top down uh, obeys and fears the Lord. Then we skip over to chapter 28. Chapter, let's see, chapter 28, uh, verse 58. Uh, let's see. Okay, he says, and you shall, uh, and if you do not carefully observe all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring upon you all the, the, uh, and your descendants uh, the extraordinary plagues and great and prolonged plagues and serious. He goes into the diseases that are going to come if you don't obey and to honor his name. And so this is, you know, this is a warning for those. Why? Because God is, uh, is mad at you? Well, that could be part of it. But mainly when you get outside the will of God, you open yourself up to all kinds of, of evil, both personally with sickness and so forth, as well as just demonic attack. And so be careful to follow the Lord. And then over in chapter 31, we see um, in verse 31, or chapter 31, verse 12. We see that um, he says, gather the people together. So this is what uh, Moses is talking. Men and women and little ones and the stranger who is within your gate, even the foreigner, now gathered them together, that they may hear and that they may learn to fear. So fear, learning to fear, the fear is a process of learning. Learn to fear the Lord your God and carefully observe all the words of this law and that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land which you cross the Jordan to possess. So you learn to fear, and guess what? Your children are going to learn to fear. 
And that's so what God wants in our lives. And then in verse 13 of chapter 31, um, well, that's chapter 12 and thir- verse 13 and uh, 12 and 13, where we see that we're to gather them together and then we're to teach and learn to fear. Now, again, just turn back with me over to, back, to verse, chapter 30, and we'll see as Moses passionately tells them, you know, I'm, I'm laying out before you blessings and cursings. But uh, notice in verse 19 of chapter 30, just a, a chapter back, he says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell with, uh, dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. Notice he says that we are to choose life because he is our life. I like what Paul tells the Colossians, I think, where he says, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear. Well, Christ is our life. I mean, that is wrapped, well, you're just, uh, you know, you're just a holy roller, or you really are. No, if I've given my life to Christ, then my life is Christ's. And for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. And notice what Mo- Moses is saying to these people. God is our life. And without him, there is no life. So make, every, make your life so wrapped up in God that everything about you revolves around your love of God. Because the more you do that, the greater your blessing is going to be. Yes, you're going to have trials. Yes, you're going to have battles. Yes, there's going to be some challenges you're going to overcome. And there will be some testings. But when you choose me on a constant basis and on a habitual basis then you're going to find the blessing of God. They might not come immediately because the world is always wanting instant gratification. But the longer you walk with me, the more that you're going to see God's blessings and joy and happiness in your life. And, that, and what, Because you know, families just don't form and cultures just don't start overnight. Uh, when you raise a child a certain way, then they're developing tastes and they're developing uh, cares. And so even when they get married, they're looking for certain things that an unsaved child is not looking for. And so they're going to be looking for that mate that, uh, that is, uh, walks with the Lord. And so the longer that we can, so then of course, then the grandchildren are going to have that great privilege too. And so uh, the whole culture, the whole idea, the whole uh, setting for a family you know, is set up in a man's love for God. It will affect the whole society in the long run. It won't happen overnight. That's why the, the revival under Josiah was a great revival. He tore down all the, uh, the idols and he killed a lot of uh, false prophets and so forth like he was supposed to. And yet the Bible says the hearts of the people had not turned back. And as soon as Josiah died, they went right back into their sin. And so we want genuine revival where God's people who are called by his name humble themselves and pray 
and seek his face and turn from their wicked way. That they, and of course, just not turning, but loving and turning to, not turning, not only turning from, but turning to the Lord Jesus and wanting him to be the author and the finisher of our, of our faith. And so we see the importance. Choose life. That, isn't that what we tell people today? Look and live that you may live for the Lord Jesus Christ and that it may be well with you and that you will, that it will affect your family. It will affect your nation. It will affect the culture all around you. Oh, that we could be the light of the world and that God can bless us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. May we choose life daily, the life of Christ. May we choose, Lord, your commandments and not our own. May we choose to love you. And if we choose to love you, we're going to choose not to sin because you tell us if we love you, then uh, we'll keep your commandments. So, Lord, may we keep your commandments out of love and respect and awe of who you are, knowing that you counsel us by, our, by your commands. You will lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. And in doing that, and the, that path of righteousness is always going to be good, maybe filled with some, uh, uh, some testings, and definitely the devil's going to try to knock us off the path. But, Lord, we know in the end, that there will be a blessing that we will sit before you one day. We'll have, we will sup with you and you with us. Bless, Lord, your people as we seek to do your will, your way. Oh, Lord, raise up men and women of God that care for you as you care for us. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.